This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 183. So, as many of you know, Fujifilm recently held their X Summit online presentation and announced their new cameras and lenses. And although some of the news is exciting, especially for Fujifilm X shooters, most of it was ho hum for me personally. Now I know what you're thinking, but you're a Canon shooter, why would you care about what Fujifilm announced? Well, you've got to remember, I am also a Fujifilm shooter. I own the GFX 50R medium format mirrorless system. And although I do love the camera, it does have its shortcomings. No GPS and a subpar contrast detect autofocus are the two huge issues I have with the GFX platform. I understand that the camera is also slow in the frames per second speed, but I don't care about that. I know that medium format is not built for shooting sports, and I am fine with that. But come on, why in God's name would you use Contrast AF when everyone knows Contrast AF sucks? It's slow. It's inaccurate. It's just not the AF system that anyone should ever use in a camera in this day and age. I mean, they put phase detect AF in the GFX 100 and 100S. Why not the 50R, the 50S, or the 50S Mark II? I mean, isn't like adding phase detect AF, it isn't like adding phase detect AF would drastically raise the cost of making these cameras. They have phase detect AF in all the X mount bodies, so why not in all of the GFX bodies? To me, it's just a way to screw the consumer. But maybe that's just me. But you can buy a sub $1,000 camera and get a better AF system than in the medium format systems that cost anywhere from four dollars to $6,000. Then we have the X series announcements which was the X-T30 Mark II, which is basically an X-T30 with new firmware. Okay, remember, a few years back when the previous Fujifilm CEO at the time said that they were using the Kaizen model, which was giving Fujifilm shooters basically a new camera every time they released a new firmware that would be packed with new features and enhancements. Well, apparently the new CEO at Fujifilm has decided that doing firmware upgrades for free that enhance the user's camera and adds new features wasn't a good model to make money as the days of Kaizen are now over. Instead, you have to buy the next generation of an X-Series camera to get the stuff you should have gotten from a firmware update. The X-T30 has basically no new hardware except for some more RAM and is strictly, as Fujifilm calls it, firmware on steroids. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Fujifilm doesn't make great cameras, but now 
instead of keeping their users excited about the next set of feature enhancements they can get for the camera they already own, they want you to keep buying the next revision year over year. That may be fine for your hardcore Fujifilm X loyalist, but it's not going to generate excitement for other shooters to switch to their platform, especially when Fujifilm has been sorely lacking in innovating camera technology. Fujifilm doesn't have the deep R&D pockets that Canon and Sony have, so they cannot compete there, and they cannot mass-produce and ship cameras the way Canon and Sony can either so they are kind of stuck there as well, which to me is why they should be giving their customers the most bang for their buck. Fujifilm might be able to keep things exciting by making niche cameras, kind of like less expensive Leica brand. They have had success with their Instax brand of cameras that young people really love to use as their creative outlet. They also offer their Instax cameras in some really cool and unique colors, which kids love, making the Instax instant camera system hugely successful. Couple that with the ability to print right out of the camera, and you have a winning combination. With Fujifilm's new CEO stating earlier this year that they are not planning to sell off the camera division as it's their, quote, contribution to society, that doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in me. If you remember, Olympus's CEO said the same thing, and then they sold their camera division off to Japan Industrial Products, effectively killing off the Olympus camera brand. Now, I am hopeful that unlike Olympus, CEO, uh, Olympus's CEO, Fujifilm's new CEO is being honest about the camera division not going away but they need to step things up in order to continue to thrive and survive. Fujifilm has very beautiful designs for their cameras, especially with the number of their bodies that are designed to look like vintage cameras from the film days. Now, that will not be enough to keep Fujifilm alive, especially when Nikon is now doing similar designs with their new ZFC system, and Sony's new A7C system is going after that niche market as well. Cameras that look retro and are just a lot of fun to shoot with, those are things that get people excited about photography and excited about the brand. Fujifilm dominated here for a long time, but now Nikon and Sony are coming for Fuji's jugular with their new models in that same space. And I'm going to take a moment right here for a break, and I will be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Now, as I had mentioned before, Fujifilm's new CEO realizes they cannot keep giving major updates away for free, 
especially when you have the cost of staffing a software development team to stay on top of giving away major new features and enhancements with firmware updates. But Fujifilm does need to come up with other ways to stay relevant. And in the game, when facing the fierce competition from all the other companies, according to recent reports, Canon and Sony own basically 90% of the global camera market, which leaves Fujifilm and others to fight over the remaining 10%, which is not much of a market and makes for little opportunities for profit. If Fujifilm can continue to come up with exciting niche cameras, they have a good shot at staying in the game. Fujifilm makes great products, but another area where I think they strayed was going with their X-Trans sensor in the X-Series bodies. Some people claim it gives better image quality, and maybe it does. I have not shot with one, so I would not know on that subject. But a close friend of mine, Brent, from the Latitude Photography Podcast, gave the Fujifilm X system a try to see if he could switch from Canon, and he was not happy with the way the X-Trans sensor performed. I spoke with Brent about it a bit on Facebook, and he said that for landscape and travel photography, he ran into weird issues with odd-looking artifacts in his images that were caused by the design of the X-Trans sensor. Now, for my part, I'm still confused as to why Fujifilm went with the X-Trans sensor in their APS-C cameras, but then they use a bare sensor in their GFX bodies. It would seem that it would be more cost-effective to use the same type of sensor in both camera platforms. And since the GFX platform is an image quality beast of a system, I'm not really sure where the thinking that the X-Trans sensor is better for image quality comes from. But I did do a little research on this. Fujifilm introduced the first X-Train sensor in 2012 in the Fuji X-Pro1. And the idea behind this sensor was to make a new way for the sensor's color filters to create the image. At their core, image sensors are like black and white film. They only see a range of brighter or darker tones with no color information attached. To let them detect color, an array of tiny red, green, and blue filters are essentially painted onto the chip. So each sensor pixel will only respond to one of those primary colors. It's as if you had three cameras, each capturing monochrome red, green, and blue images that were then combined together to produce a full color result. There are two problems with this approach. First, the camera has to do some number crunching to turn out the separate red, green, and blue pixels into a full color RGB ones. This isn't terribly difficult with conventional sensors, but a bigger issue is that the regularly repeating patterns of colored pixels can result in more patterns or color noise when the subject contains finely detailed repeating patterns. Think of a texture in a cloth or subjects like Venetian blinds. If you've ever held two pieces of window screen at an angle to each other, you'll have seen the broad swirls of light and dark the conflicting patterns create. The same thing can happen in your camera when a pattern on the subject happens to align in just the wrong way with the regular array of colored pixels on your sensor. The classic way of dealing with this is to put what's called an optical low-pass filter in front of the sensor. 
This basically produces a very controlled blurring of the image. So sharp edges and abrupt color and tonal transitions in the subject won't cause problems by interacting with the pixel pattern. Rounding off those sharp edges in the images makes the more problems go away, but at the expense of a much softer looking image. Now there's really no way around this. It's a mathematical fact of life, despite what non-mathematicians might tell you. No amount of processing or fancy algorithms can guarantee to eliminate more in all cases. If the subject detail is too fine relative to the pitch of the pixels. Most cameras these days have dispensed with low-pass filters, getting away without them thanks to sensor resolution, outstripping the resolving power of many lenses. In many cases, the lens can't resolve detail fine enough to cause a problem with more, so it's basically acting as a low-pass filter in the system relative to the fine pitch of the pixels. With the lens blurring the finest subject detail, the camera doesn't need its own low-pass filter to blur it further. Of course, you can see the problem with this. What happens if your lens can resolve such fine detail? It's as much art as science to design a lens that not only has good optical characteristics, but that can also be manufactured reliably and repeatedly at a reasonable cost. Any manufacturing process is a game of managing tolerances, balancing what you'd like to do in an ideal world, and what you can actually achieve on your factory floor. This is even more true of lens manufacturing than other types. One way lens designers hedge their bets is to design lenses such that there isn't a single point of absolute best focus, but rather a range over which the focus is more or less the same. An ideal depth of field curve for a textbook perfect lens and sensor of infinite resolution would be a V-shape. In the real world, most lenses are designed to have a flattened bottom on the V, which helps accommodate minor variations in part tolerances when manufacturing. Fujifilm adopted a different philosophy, aiming for maximum sharpness no matter what making the point of the V as sharp as possible. This means crisper images, but what about the more or color noise? To some extent, the better your lens is, the more likely you are to see more in images of subjects with repeating patterns in them. Part of the reason Fuji felt free to pursue this approach was that they already had a solution in mind in the form of their X-Trans sensor technology. X-Trans changes things up by using a more complex array of color filters. Rather than the 2x2 RGB bare pattern used by most cameras, the X-Trans uses a much larger 6x6 array that mixes up the pixel spacing. Depending on where and in what direction you're looking, the spacing between pixels of a given color can vary quite a bit. This gives the camera's image processor more spatial information to help sort out what's more and what's subject detail. Of course, x still does have a repeating pattern of color pixels, so there's not a 100% guarantee that you'll never see a more pattern. The bottom line, though, is that x sensors give the camera a much broader range of spatial frequency information 
so its X processor has more data to use in striking the best balance between color noise and maximum sharpness. It takes a lot of number crunching, but the different spatial sampling frequencies give the processor much more information to work with. Like the Super CCD sensors before it, Fujifilm's X-Train sensor technology has continued to evolve over the decade or so since its launch. Since that first generation arrived with the X-Pro1 in 2012, three subsequent generations have refined and extended the technology. The first X-Trans 2 chip debuted in the Fuji X100S in 2013, harkening back to the Super CCD EXR2 design that preceded it. Fuji's X-Trans 2 sensor added on-chip phase detection autofocus. Improved pixel circuitry also brought better dark noise suppression, and the resolution jumped from 12.3 to 16.3 megapixels as well. In 2016, the third generation X-Trans 3 arrived with Fuji's X-Pro2. It brought still higher 24.3 megapixel resolution, even more phase detection AF points, and switched from aluminum to copper wiring simultaneously lowering noise levels and significantly improving readout speeds and thus the overall camera performance. Most recently of all, the Fujifilm X-Trans CMOS 4 sensor arrived in 2018 with the X-T3. This latest generation switched to a backside illuminated design for even better light gathering capability and once again boosted the on-chip phase detection pixel count significantly for more capable autofocus. It also increased the resolution a bit to 26.1 megapixels. X-Trans technology is fundamental to Fujifilm's strategy. They view image quality as a key differentiator for their cameras and have invested a huge amount in developing their own sensor technologies in pursuit of it. X-Trans is just the latest iteration in that process, one that was planned years before the processor technology would arrive that would make it feasible. But from what I have read and researched on this subject, the benefits of the X-Trans at reducing color noise is not necessary in the GFX line as the sensor and lenses are so much larger. The issues for color noise aren't quite as prevalent. Still, it would seem to me to be a huge possible unnecessary cost to have two different lines of sensors for their camera systems. But with Fujifilm, image quality is top priority, and I know many people that have shot with both Fuji and non-Fuji APS-C cameras say that the image quality on the X-Series system are superior to any other APS-C platform. Of course, no system is completely perfect, and I guess the way Fujifilm has arranged the color filter elements in the X-Trans sensor is what causes the issues in certain types of shots, as my friend Brent discovered when he tested a Fujifilm X-Series system to see if he could use a smaller and lighter system for his photography. Fujifilm did recently retire their X-Trans 4 series of sensors, earlier this year, and many people wondered if they were going to move away from X-Trans in the X-Series cameras. But now it has been announced that the next X-Series cameras will contain a new generation of X-Trans sensor, 
So it looks like their X-Trans is here to stay with the release of the X-Trans 5. For my work, right now, I'm staying with Fujifilm's GFX system for my medium format work, but with the fact that they don't offer phase detect AF only in their much more expensive GFX 100 and 100S models, I am disappointed thoroughly in that decision. I would love to have the 100S for my work, but at the moment, it's out of my price range. The other big thing that Fujifilm has disappointed me on with all of their GFX systems is the fact that they left out GPS. I know I've complained about it before, but it really sticks in my craw that they won't at least give us the new communication stack in their firmware to allow us to use external GPS units like we can with every other camera system on the market. Fujifilm's answer has always been, Use the camera raw remote app on your smartphone for GPS and geotagging. The problem is their app is buggy. I just tried to test it again just now, and the app doesn't even link fully with my camera. I deleted the phone pairing registration in the app and repaired my iPhone 12 Pro Max yet again via Bluetooth, and the phone connects to the Fujifilm's GFX 50R's Wi-Fi network, but then the app just hangs when you try to activate live view shooting mode. And hence the other problem with Fujifilm's, quote, solution. The app doesn't allow you to just pair the two via Bluetooth for GPS info sharing. The app's wa app wants you to shoot using it as well, and I don't want to shoot that way. In addition, the app doesn't make it easy to geotag your images as you have to power on the camera, connect to the camera's Wi-Fi network, and then in the app, go to geotagging and tell the phone to send the location data to the camera. This is not an efficient way to geotag, which is something that pisses a lot of Fujifilm shooters off. I mean, come on. In this day and age, it's not that expensive to put a bloody GPS chip in your camera or at least put the communication stack in your firmware so the customer can use an external GPS unit to geotag their images. I have gotten so frustrated with this that I that when I shoot with my GFX system and need to have the images geotagged, I take my Canon along with its GPS hot shoe unit, or I use my iPhone to take a second shot, and then later copy the GPS data from one file to another in Lightroom. I have been trying to get off Adobe software and use strictly Capture One Pro 21 because Capture One software handles Fuji RAW files much better than Lightroom. But Capture One doesn't give you the ability to copy the GPS data. This is something I've complained about to Capture One, and they said they are taking it as a feature request, which is fine. But how about you actually do it? <laughs> Okay, so wrapping up, I'm done ranting about Fujifilm. I do want to share that I had contemplated switching to the Hasselblad X1D 50C Mark II camera system, which does have GPS built in for geotagging, but they use the same type of subpar contrast detect AF system that Fuji uses in the camera. I already have, so again, with my only option to get better AF is to upgrade to the GFX 100S. Since Fujifilm decided to keep that same crappy AF system in the new GFX 50S Mark II, instead of upgrading the second generation of the camera to include phase detect AF. Again, 
I am not saying that Fujifilm is going the way of the dinosaur at the moment, but they do need to come up with new ways to be innovative and keep customers using their systems and also new customers possibly switching. I had reached out to Brent to get his wording on the exact image artifacts he experienced when testing an X-Series system, but he was unavailable for comment. I may at some point rent an X-Series system to test for myself, and maybe I can replicate the issues that he ran into. In the meantime, let me know in the comments on the Facebook group your thoughts. Are you a Fujifilm X-Series shooter? Why did you decide to go with that system over other APS-C systems? And have you run into any of these weird image artifacts? Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, so this is going to wrap up episode 183 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. I also wanted to remind you to stop by and check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel. Please uh, stop by, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, share them, comment on them, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. And you could also be kind enough to stop by and give some love to Forgotten Pieces of Georgia and Pennsylvania. They have their own YouTube channels as well. All right, that is it for this episode, and I will see you all again on Sunday for the latest news and rumors. 